Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. So why watch that movie talk? Well, listeners, we have a special movie talk for you. Ooh, they're all what? Sneak peeks. (laughs) 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 We've got three sneak peeks for you. And the special part about this movie talk is the fact that a lot of these are are film festival picks. So meaning we saw them at a film festival and or they were readily available at a film festival. So let's go through these three because they're very, each of them are extremely different and very niche. So that means in theater. Oh, niche. Yes, very niche. <laughs> what is this shocking that these three are? <laughs> no, it's just I wasn't expecting that word. Okay. <laughs> um, these three may one of them will be readily available soon. I mean, everybody can have access to it. The other two, they may or may not be in a theater near you. I mean, most theaters may be one of them, the last one. But mm-hmm. it's possible that you may need to dig a little bit. Maybe the art house next to you or the theater that um, maybe doesn't have all the bells and whistles. So let's get through that and then you, we'll let you go to check your listings. Let's start with Pain and Glory, which is in theaters, yes, this Friday, October 4th. And this is a film festival darling. It was at Cannes. It was at the Toronto International Film Festival, and it was at the New York Film Festival. And the critic got a chance to see it there at the New York Film Festival. It is directed by Pedro um, Amadovar, who is very well known and very beloved by the uh, cinematic community. He also wrote it, which isn't entirely unusual for him. And he has a familiar cast that he works with, or at least an actress that he works with quite often. Penelope Cruz mm -hmm, is in it along with some amazing other actors, but namely Antonio Banderas. And the reason why I say Antonio Banderas is because (laughs) he won the highest acting honor at Cannes this year for this role, for this portrayal. So do tell us about pain and glory and if it's something we should comb through our listings to go find and see and make that trip. Mm-hmm. Give up the reclined seats. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, really this is inspired by Almodovar's life. Um, so we have a director played by Mr. Banderas, Senor Banderas. Oh, well, yeah. And he's had this wonderful career, but he hasn't really made a movie of note of late so they're about to do this sort of like a retrospective where they bring back one of his classic films and they want one of they want the star actor to come back but he and the star actor they don't really get along for specific reasons 
So of course we see what the vestiges of that relationship are. Also, <laughs> for Antonio's character, he, because of this retrospective, is having his own personal retrospective. He's going back to his childhood, and that's where this movie starts, where he's a kid, he's with his mama, they're washing clothes out in the water, and his mama's played by Penelope Cruz. Oh, wow. And the, the first scene is really interesting. I enjoyed it. The women just start singing. You know, they're working, and they start singing. It was beautiful. So he's thinking back on that, and as we go through the movie, those two time periods track forward in time. Mm -hmm. So as a kid, we see what happens to his family, his mom, his father. They all move really to a cave. You know, they don't have a lot of money. They move into this cave. You know, Penelope Cruz is looking around going, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> so she has to decorate it. There's this local guy who's an artist. He comes in and that affects this man's life. And Salvador is, the, is Antonio's character's name. So it affects, little, uh, it affects little Salvador in ways I will not describe. But what happened there springs up or sprung up later on in his life. So he's thinking through all of this. What kind of relationships has he had with men and women, for instance? Mm. How does that look, right? So we see by the end of the movie, the really the seminal moment in his life, or one of them, when he was young. And then as a director, as this you know older guy now, in the later stages of his career, where is he gonna go next? Is there anywhere for him to go next? And here's the biggest question. What are his regrets? What are the things that he may have missed out on? Because this guy is kind of introverted. He's not really out there. He, he's, not, he's not what you would expect for an Almodovar character if you know his classic films. Because Almanovar typically gives us lots of color, of course, lots of energy, just craziness. And I'll say it again, I've said it before, if you haven't seen some of Almodovar's previous work with Penelope Cruz, you don't know Penelope Cruz until you see her in one of his, not this film, but the earlier work. You've got to see it to understand why she is Senora Penelope Cruz. Ooh, okay. okay. I'm going to tell you that. So now for Pain and Glory, just like the, the previous movie that Almodovar did, Raph, that was at the New York Film Festival, at this point in his career, he's more introspective. He's really calmed everything down. He's very patient. He's very spare in his presentation. And the question is, is that as effective as his colorful side? For me, it's not. I like it with the fire. Mm, mm, okay, el mm. fuego. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> El Fuego. Oh, yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that this is bad. This is the kind of thing that's more for people who want to sit in the theater and, you know, just really think back on their lives and, and you know, ponder, you know, what it means to be human and all of this stuff. Yeah. But excuse me, in Pain and Glory, really, to me, it's an unfinished thought. I, I can see that he wanted to work through some things. And sometimes as artists, if things are so personal, that can 
either make it really good or it can make uh, it can hold the director the writer back because it's too personal i just felt like he needed somebody to push him forward a little Ooh. it's like if you think of um fanning and alexander which was ingvar bergman's uh one of his classic films that was a personal story but it pulled something out of him after you get through the first half an hour Gotcha. That was really interesting. I don't know about that here, but I will say, in the end, I wanted it to keep going. He had an interesting idea there at the very end of Pain and Glory that I wish he would continue, and maybe he will in subsequent films. So I'll say, if you were an Almodovar fan, you're a completist, then obviously you have to see this. You're going to find it interesting. You're going to find it unique for him. Uh, outside of that, if you are of the contemplative sort, then maybe you want to check this out. Mm, thank you for that. Yeah, so now that we have that, that's going to be in theaters, uh, you know, sometime soon. It depends, but it will be Friday, October 4th, as all of these films will. And the next one that we will be available in theaters, limited, on October 4th, is Dolomite Is My Name. Yes, it is. <laughs> Okay. And then it's, it's ellipsis, so put some respect on it. Yes. <laughs> no, it's not that. But Dolomite is my name. It is a Netflix film. So while it will be in limited theaters uh, on October 4th, it will be available on Netflix on October 25th. The ref saw this at the Toronto International Film Festival. It is I did. directed. Yeah, it is directed by Craig Brewer, who directed Hustle and Flow. It is written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karashevsky. It stars Eddie Murphy as Rudy Ray Moore, Dolomite. Keegan-Michael Key is in the cast. Mike Epps, Craig Robertson, Titus uh, Burgess, Divine Joy Randolph, Wesley Snipes. I mean, Tip himself is in it. Chris Rock, Ron Cephas Jones, Lunell, and Snoop Dogg, among others. <laughs> so tell us, Ref, is this the laugh a minute that we want it to be or not? Well, um, I did give my initial reaction, which was kind of a little bit flushed out. Uh, more than initial um, in the uh, TIFF International. So if you want to hear the fire behind <laughs> my reaction, go there. And this is more of a retrospective. And basically the plot is this. As you said, Eddie Murphy plays the basically the titular character uh, Rudy Ray Moore, who was basically a failed singer. He's an artiste to the nines. He was a singer, singing kind of the, the doo-wop kind of singing. Didn't quite make it there. He also dabbled in um, stand-up. Didn't quite cross through in there, but he hasn't quite given up hope, even though he is an assistant manager at a record store. Yep, not manager, assistant manager. And he is not a young man well he's trying to get his um record that he borrowed stole and steal you know basically scraped together everything uh to get this demo out he's trying to get it played with you know his friend snoop dog who has, happens to be a dj at the record store how do you think that plays out is the sound fresh and new and hip i don't think so well rudy is discouraged 
but he happens upon this um, homeless man who no one really likes around because he kind of smells and everybody just wants him to go away. But whenever he comes into the record store, he's got a, he's got like a rhyme. He's got a story to tell about this man, this MF named Dolomite. <laughs> and it's a fictional person and he just loves telling stories about Dolomite. So in order for him, for the, for Rudy to let him go away and, 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 uh, uh, also Titus, who's his, his assistant, they're like, look, just let him tell the story, give him a coin and let him go, get him out of here. So he, fine. They let him tell the story and it's, and it's very entertaining. It's rhyming. It's like Dolomite is like, yo mama so fat that da, da, da. it's more like Dolomite is so great that yo lips fall off or, you know, whatever, right? way more intense than that. But there's something to that. Something strikes Rudy because he's at his lowest lows and if he could just come up with an act that could get him back on the map maybe maybe he can swing back and do his dream he wants to tell everybody that he was here on earth at one point so he follows the homeless man to a group of other homeless men who sort of all share the story about Dolomite. How he uh, is with all the women, knocking out all the bad guys, doing this and doing that. He's the baddest MF you've ever seen. And Rudy takes note. He takes so many notes that at his second job, where he is an MC, he decides to try his new stand-up as Dolomite. What? 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 Hmm. And do you think it's a success? Well, we are saying Dolomite is my name, don't we? Fast forward, and I, I'm going to blow through this plot because it's a lot happening because it's basically a biopic. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to the point where it's so successful that he picks up little friends along the way, like Divine Joy Randolph's character, whose name is Lady Reed. She's a woman. Nobody ever wants to believe a black woman can be a comedian, but he gives her a shot. And soon enough, he's got a little bandwagon behind him, a little money, a little success. He's working the chicken circuit. He gets this idea. What if Dolomite is on the big screen? Well, do you think anybody's going to buy into that? Someone who's never written, never starred in, doesn't know anything about movies? Well, Rudy decides to take it all on himself, hiring various people like Keegan Michael Kay's character who's a a famed playwright (laughs) and gives this idea to write a a jacked up story and also hiring a very well known actor who wants to be the director Wesley Snipes character now he is an actor now do you think he's you know a drama queen probably so they fight all they can, I mean, every obstacle imaginable, completely footing and uh, just absolutely taking on all expenses to get this movie made. And the question is, does the movie get made? And at what cost did it come to Rudy? And is is it a success? So that's basically the gist of the plot. As I alluded to, this is a biopic. Um, it doesn't start with Rudy as a young man. It really starts with him at his lowest point and moves on to uh, where we know him as Dolomite. And while Dolomite 
is about Rudy. If you don't know who Dolomite is, he came at the height, or that character came at the height of black exploitation. We're talking about the shafts alike and all the other kind of movies that really didn't get the kind of um, kind of play that a what what many would say a mainstream movie would, but they were wildly successful. It's almost like Tyler Perry movies and things like that today. It's you know at first it was sort of like creeping through and working the chicken circuit, and then all of a sudden chitlin circuit, excuse me, and then all of a sudden it's it's famed and huge. Well, Dolomite's attempt or Rudy's attempt to make Dolomite internationally known as you know, works because we're obviously watching this biopic. And the question is, what does this biopic really want to do? What is Netflix doing here? Because while it tries to um, give hints of black exploitation within you while you're watching it, it also tries to be a drama. Uh? Okay. What was that? Uh? Like home improvement. Oh, which is, I guess, fine. But to go between those two genres is really challenging. But let's talk about the cast. Eddie Murphy is the right pick for Dolomite. I mean, think about it. An aging comedian who is in black exploitation. It's either him or who? Chris Rock? No, he's in it, though. Dave Chappelle? Maybe. <laughs> but it is Eddie Murphy who gives the sort of likability to Rudy, and also we're just glad to see him back in comedy. We know he did a lot of, he was doing drama at one time with Mr. Church, and was also doing a lot of kid movies, you know, a string of kid movies about 10 years ago. It's nice to see him back with his comedy chops. The supporting cast are basically comedians for the most part, and they did their job, but I want to highlight one as I did in my um, reaction video. I have to say that if anybody really came in like to work, Divine Joy Randolph took a very one-dimensional character, Lady, Lady Reed, and flushed her out really like when the dramatic notes were supposed to be there, she hit them. And when it was time for comedy, she killed it. So I really loved her um, performance. Wesley Snipes, as the director, was in a different movie. He was in a black exploitation movie, man. He came completely ready to uh, to satirize this entire um, portion of the movie. And it would have worked if people would have joined hmm. and they didn't. So he felt a little bit out of place. He got some, 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 you know, I won't say cheap laughs, but there were laughs that were kind of like, okay, you're, you're in a different movie. When I kind of touch back and zoom out, is this written the best? No, it isn't. It's kind of all over the place. Like I said, going in between genres. Is this, a hilarious film that you're going to be laughing every second. No, you will not because of the going back and forth between genres. And quite frankly, the material wasn't quite as funny. But are there some moments where you will laugh? Yes. Are there some moments where you will go, oh my gosh, that's funny. When they got to filming the movie, Dolomite is my name, or Dolomite actually, that was the funnier part of of it. So what I say all in all is that this is an appropriate 
language medium. Netflix should have this because you can pause, you can fast forward, you can just be relaxed in your own home, you can eat popcorn, you can do whatever you'd like to do. And my last thought is this. If you like black exploitation movies, if you love Eddie Murphy, you just have to see him. If you want to sit back and just have a movie sort of carry you through something and you really don't have to engage a whole lot, I think that you should check this out at home. Mm. I do. I think you should check it out at home. There it is. Moving on. (laughs) Let's end this whole thing with, um, you were able to, now Lady in the Sky was both at TIFF and at the New York Film Festival. And you got a chance to see it um, kind of basically on your own. Oh, mm-hmm. so not at the New York Film Festival, it was just at TIFF. And yeah. um, this was something that um, kind of did not get a lot of advertisement, but let's see why. Let's see why, because I feel like you're going to have a very strong opinion about that. Noah um, Hawley um, directed it. Brian C. Brown wrote the story, as well as Elliot, oh, excuse me, Elliot uh, Digitsby. Uh, oh my gosh, there's so many people involved with this. And Noah, Noah also did some revisions on it. It has a very familiar cast. I mean, the cast is super, I'm excited about this cast. Natalie Portman's leading it. John Hamm shows up. Zazie Beetz. Dan Stevens. Matthew from Downton Abbey. Uh, <laughs> um, Ellen Burstyn. Um, on and on. I mean, you're going to talk about some of these people. I mean, Nick Offerman shows up at some point. The critics have a, an opinion. And I feel like you're going to have one, too. Hmm. <laughs> So, um, the one thing to keep in mind is, as you said, Noah Hawley directed it. He co-wrote it, whatever he did there. And this is the guy who brought us Fargo, the TV show on FX, and Legion. So, he has a particular taste. And there's certain things that always occur in whatever he does. So, with that said, Lucy in the Sky is based on a real story, loosely. And um, Natalie Portman plays Lucy. Uh, And Lucy is an astronaut. Yes, working for NASA. And at the beginning of the movie, she's in space. Just like, you know, Sandra Bullock. So we see the vastness of Earth and, and she is really taken by it. It changes her life. So when she comes back down to Earth, literally <laughs> she we find she has a husband the husband's played by dan stevens he works at nasa too he's not an astronaut he's uh one of their uh publicists <laughs> so he works there good guy you know nice guy all of that stuff really supportive of lucy but the question is after she's been in space can she bring herself down mentally or has everything changed so much so that she's a different person? Hmm. Now, she has fellow astronauts as well, one of whom is played by John Hamm. John Hamm's already gone up and come down. He's about to go up again. 
And he's looking at Lucy going, you know, hey, hey, girl, you might need to, you know, like calm it down, slow it down, because Lucy wants to go back up as soon as possible. And she has a shot to go back up, not the next time NASA sends astronauts up, but the time after that, which is not that long. Okay, so that whole thing is happening. And the question is also, what's going on between Lucy and Mark, who's John Hamm's character, outside of professional contexts? Now, you don't just get assigned to go up. You essentially have to qualify to join a team to go into space. So they have candidates and they test you to see who's gonna rise to the top. So we see this, we see all of the different training they do, all of the different kind of challenges they have to overcome. And Lucy is someone who will not give up. So much so that it looks dangerous. Now, somebody who is a threat to her professionally to go up into space is played by Zazie Beetz. Her character's name is Erin. Erin is younger, she hasn't been up in space yet, but she has the same kind of skills as Lucy. And Lucy's so confident that she helps Aaron out. Yep, because there actually are two slots, so maybe both of them can go. Hmm. And then what happens is over time, Lucy's intensity, her desire to get into space, maybe it turns people off and maybe it's disconnected her so much from reality that she can no longer be trusted. Now, another part of this is Lucy has a grandmother played by Ellen Burstyn, who's a spitfire. This woman is not gonna hold back what she's gotta say. She's gonna put it on the table and not care. And a conduit, she's a conduit essentially for Lucy and Lucy's relationship with her niece because there's something going on in Lucy's family story. Note, I haven't mentioned a mother or a father. And Lucy has a brother, and that's where this niece comes from. But the brother isn't taking care of the niece. And the niece isn't that young, she's a teenager. So she comes to stay with Lucy, and grandma tells the niece, you need to look at Lucy and follow her. She is the one, not your pappy. But in the end, does that hold true? In the end, does Lucy make it back up into space or does everything collapse? Now, I started talking about Noah. Noah is very interested in the interior aspects of characters. What's going on mentally? Let's depict that. Let's really delve deep into it. And so much so that he loses the plot. He loses the thrust of the story. And that's what happened here. Now, what was interesting, the selling point for this movie is this. We really haven't seen a movie that gets into the mentality of what it's like to go into space and come back and really have this letdown. I've never really seen that. We've seen the whole process of becoming an astronaut, going into space. We've seen all of that time and time again. But how does that not affect the families necessarily? How does that affect the astronaut? How does that change them? And Natalie Portman is the appropriate cast for this. So that was going on for the bulk of the movie. And even that section though, I thought was elongated. I was kind of like, okay, I'm over it. Then in the end, it all of a sudden turns into something else, completely something else. It's this thing about, oh, is she losing her mind? Everybody's looking at her like you're nuts. It's almost like they wanted to do Black Swan again without 
all of those techniques that we saw in Black Swan. And that's the major disconnect that makes this movie challenging overall to recommend. So what I'll say is this, if you are obsessed with space movies, I don't even know if you want to see this. It's really more about if you want to delve into someone's headspace after a major event has occurred. And should you see this on the big screen? Now look, Noah is very visual. There's all kinds of different uh, aspect ratios he uses, it changes. So essentially the, the way the, the actual portion of the screen is filled changes. It can get really thin, it can get really long. He uses the whole screen, he uses half of it. Like it's always changing. You always have something to look at. So if you're kind of interested and you don't mind uh, maybe not being swept away, you could see this in a theater to get all of that. That. But otherwise, I mean, if you want to wait to see it on your TV, I think it'll be fine. I mean, it, this was something that could have been more than it was. It's just it didn't gel together. Well, there you have it. Pain and Glory, Dolomite is My Name, and Lucy in the Sky will all be available this Friday, October 4th. You may have to dig around a little bit for some of them, but certainly they will come eventually to your small screen. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.